0: All right. So uh, the plan was for us to finish uh, Ju- uh, where were we? Where were we? Lamentations, Jude. I don't know why I said Jude. Lamentations uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, and to have started Philemon last week didn't work out. I had I had the the thing that's been going around, and I I'm over it now. I'm good to go. Um, but. Uh, we're going to start Philemon today and it's going to take us 3 weeks. We're going to do we're going to do this in 3 weeks. Now, we could probably because of the length of the letter, we could probably, you know, crank this out in one sermon and you know, be done with it, but I think there's just so much here that we we can dive into and really get a lot of good stuff out of this if we take our time. So, we're going to do this over a few weeks that'll get us into the summer. And then we're going to launch into summer psalms, which is what we try to do every summer if we're not in a book, trying to finish up a book like Isaiah or something super long. So this year we'll have everything wrapped up by the summer. We'll be in the psalms and just kind of taking a different psalm or so every week. Um, that's kind of the game plan at this point. So, but in the meantime, let's talk about Philemon. Okay, today we're going to be in verse 1 through 7. Okay, so we're going to take basically the first couple paragraphs of this letter. But before we get into it, I want to give us the big picture overview of Philemon. It's, it's not a letter that most of us are super familiar with. Uh, we've probably read it. In fact, if you do a Bible reading plan, you spend like one whole day reading Philemon. That's all you, you, know, that's all you get. You just get to read the whole thing. Uh, on that plan because there's it's a really short letter it's in fact the shortest letter Paul wrote to anyone Um, it's not the shortest in the whole New Testament I think second or third John gets that that credit but but Philemon is very short and the shortest of all the letters Paul wrote so a lot of times because of how short it is we just don't give a lot of attention to this like we just we read it we crank through it we're like okay cool And then we're done. But but really, there's some amazing things in this little letter that we want to look at. So let me give you the big, the kind of the overview, the synopsis of what Paul is writing about. And we're going to obviously see it in more detail as we walk through it. But I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees, right? I I I want us to be able to see the whole thing. Kind of just give you the summary, um, and then we'll dive into the to the. Individual <laughs> verses. well, here's but here's what Philemon's about. Philemon is a guy's name. Let's start with that, okay, Guy named Philemon. He is a um, a member at the very least, a member, if not a leader in the church in a city called Colossae, which we have a letter to the Colossians in the New Testament. That letter was written to the church that Philemon. Was a part of. Now, we don't know if Philemon was a pastor, elder there, or if he was just a member in the church. It's not totally clear. We don't know a lot about him on a <clears throat> biographical level, but we know that Philemon had this guy in his, in his life named Onesimus. And Onesimus, we're going to meet him in this letter too. Onesimus is um, essentially a what, what the Bible calls a bondservant. Um, meaning he's an indentured servant. He, he evidently owed money or something to Philemon. He couldn't pay. And so the, the law of the Greco-Roman world was that you had to go to work basically as a slave, but it wasn't forever. It wasn't for your whole life. It was really just until you paid off your debt. Um, and, and so Onesimus is working for Philemon. Philemon is evidently a, a wealthy guy. We're going to kind of get a glimpse of that today. Um, and, and Onesimus, at some point in time, decides to run away and steal in the process from Philemon to make his escape. And there's a problem there, right, initially. And so, so that's kind of the, the, the background of what Onesimus and Philemon have to do with each other. But the weird part is that at some point, Onesimus meets the apostle Paul. How? How? I don't know. Like nobody knows. There's a lot of guesswork out there, but at some point, Onesimus and Paul meet each other. Did did Onesimus know Paul because Philemon and Paul knew each other? So maybe Paul had come to the house at some point and they met each other. That's possible. Did, uh, did, o, did Onesimus and Timothy meet each other in a coffee shop? And Timothy's like, hey, you should come meet this guy, Paul. Who knows, right? Doesn't matter. But at some point, they meet each other. And Onesimus, through that interaction with the Apostle Paul, becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And Paul gets all of this background about Onesimus stealing from Philemon and running away. And essentially what happens through this letter, it's an amazing letter, Paul writes it, hands it to Onesimus and says, here, bring this back to Philemon for me, and tells him to go home. And and this letter is carried by Onesimus to Philemon. The guy who stole from him brings this letter to him. And what Paul is doing in this letter is basically calling on Philemon to forgive and to welcome back Onesimus into his, not just his home, but his church, and into fellowship as a fellow believer. It's an amazing thing. It's a very short letter. It's definitely one of the most personal letters that Paul writes because he's not really writing specifically to a local church, although the the church is mentioned here uh, and we're welcome to read it. Obviously, it's in the scriptures because it was for the church. But nonetheless, it was really a personal letter dealing with how does Philemon welcome in a guy who has wronged him and done harm to him, but is now a brother in Christ. And what does that welcome look like? It's a cool thing. It's really good stuff. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this. There's a lot of angles we could take uh, through this book. We could look at the, the angle of forgiveness, and we will touch on that um, next week more, more specifically. I mean we can take a lot of different angles, but the overarching angle I want to look at is, as is assumed by the title here, is how do we welcome people into the church, into the fellowship of believers in general, right? But but specifically, how do we welcome people into the church who have a reputation that maybe isn't positive? We're in a small town, right? You know a lot of people think about that person that one person you're like ooh if they walked in I'm not sure what I would do that that's what we're talking about here how do we welcome in people welcome them to Jesus even if they've done wrong or if they have if they're misfits or they just don't they just don't we just don't know what to do with them or whatever right those are the kind of questions that we're going to answer All right. So that's the introduction. That's the big picture. We're going to, you're going to catch most of that detail I just gave you as we read the letter. Um, I've tried to avoid the speculative stuff because I think, you know, there's a lot, when you read commentaries on Philemon, there's a lot of speculation about all this stuff. But the fact is we just don't know all the details. We don't need to know all the details to know what Paul's trying to get across. And, uh, And so just making guesswork isn't super helpful. It might be interesting, but it's not helpful. So so I've tried to just give you what we know for sure, and uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, so here's where we're at. We're going to look at the first seven verses this morning. And um, as we get into this, here's what I'm going to try to help us see today. I think the scriptures are going to be helpful on this question. Um, how do we become a welcoming church? What is the foundation for that? What does that mean? And, and here's, here's essentially the answer that we're going to see. I'm going to give you the big, the big idea right here out of the gate. So if you're taking notes or whatever, if you want to write it down, you can, whatever. But here, here's essentially what we're going to see. In order to be a welcoming church or a welcoming Christian, our hearts have to be gripped by the character of Christ. To be a welcoming believer, to be a welcoming church by extension, right? Because the church is a, a group of believers. Uh, so we talk about the individual and then we talk about the whole. But the church is not anything if it's not the people. So how do we become welcoming people? Well, the answer that Paul's going to give us through this letter is that we are gripped by the character of Christ. So, so let's look at this, okay? We'll, we'll start in verse one here. The words will be up on the screen for you too. Um, it starts this way. This is a letter, so it's written in a format of a letter from the ancient Greek and Roman world, which the way they wrote letters back then started with the person writing the letter, introducing themselves. That's kind of backwards to how we write letters, Right? We start with the person we're writing to and then we say what we need to say and then we conclude with our name and we sign off. That's a little different in Paul's world. They wrote letters with starting with the person writing the letter, then addressing the person they're writing to, and then having the body of the letter follow that. So here's what it says. It starts with Paul. So Paul's writing this letter. He's introducing himself. And he introduces himself, interestingly, as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul, when you, when you look at most of Paul's letters, the overarching uh, introduction or way of introducing himself that he uses is as an apostle. Or sometimes as a servant of Christ. Uh, very rarely, though, does he call himself a prisoner for Christ. But he's calling himself a prisoner for Christ because that's literally what he is at this point in time. Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. So that makes you wonder, well, how did Philemon, or how did Onesimus meet Paul if Paul's locked up in jail? Well, <laughs> Paul was most likely uh, it, under a house arrest situation. So he's not in a jail cell, but he's under house arrest. And so there was probably the possibility for people to come and see him. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. <clears throat> so Timothy is also mentioned here as an author, but he's probably not actually writing the letter. He's probably just putting what Paul says down on paper. Right? So Paul sometimes would just dictate his letters to his, to his friends and his helpers. So Timothy does get a credit there, because he probably wrote the words that Paul was speaking Okay, here it goes. So now, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So that's who this is written to. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And Apeah, I don't think I said that right, but she's dead. She doesn't matter, so. Um, no, just kidding. She won't be offended. Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So notice who he's addressing is primarily addressing Philemon. He mentions this gal, Apea, or something like that. He calls her our sister. Was Apea Philemon's wife, perhaps? Maybe just another gal in the church. Archippus, we don't know who this guy is either, but he's he's mentioned. And then the whole church in your house is also mentioned. So the church in Colossae, which evidently meets in Philemon's house, which tells us that Philemon is... A wealthy dude he's got a big house he's got a big enough house to have the church meet in his house um, and so so that's who's addressed now again, this is kind of like we we kind of read through this and go, all right fine. Um, it really doesn't have a huge amount of uh, uh, content here, but we're just we're just getting the foundation of what what this letter's about or what he's writing to now let's get to verse three verse three is where the body of the letter begins to to happen. Here's what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is always, it seems like, in pretty much every letter, starting his letters with with this phrase. Grace to you and peace from God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go through pretty much all of Paul's letters, not every single one, but the vast majority, uh, he, he uses this phrase. Why is he using this phrase, grace and peace? Well, because for Paul, this is essentially the shorthand version of the gospel. Grace and peace are the concepts that summarize the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's establishing right out of the gate that he wants the church, he wants Philemon, he wants whoever he's writing to to, to know and believe in and embrace the good news of Jesus, which is from grace and, and creates peace. All right So So grace and peace, common phrase that Paul uses a lot. sometimes it's so common we just sort of ignore it or fly through it because it, it's so regular in his Letters, But the concepts here are vitally important, and they do serve as the very foundation for what he's actually going to try to get Philemon to do. If you don't start with the gospel, then you've got nothing else to build on. So, so let's talk about, very quickly, grace and peace. Why do those two th- words point us to the gospel? Well, the first thing is this: that grace is simply the undeserved, unmerited gift of God's favor through Jesus. That's what grace is. It is the it is the foundation point of all of our relationship with God. That we have this grace, this gift that's been bestowed on us, not by works, not by our accomplishments. Right? Uh, Getting something for what we do is called a paycheck. It's not a gift. Grace is a gift. Grace is God saying, I'm going to show you kindness, favor, love, acceptance, and everything else that that falls into the gospel purely because of who I am and what I've done for you in Jesus, not because of you. That's, That's grace. That's the foundation of all of the gospel is the grace of God poured out for us. Now, you would think, well, okay, well, why don't you just say that and be done with it? But, he, but Paul adds another word to this. Right? He, he adds the word peace. What is peace? Well, peace is the result of grace. Peace is the end result of getting grace. Peace is the relational restoration with God that we desperately need. The, the grace of God that's bestowed on us apart from ourselves, apart from our work, results in peace with God through Jesus, that we can have a restored relationship with him. And and these two things, grace and peace, put together form the foundation of the gospel, that we get what we don't deserve. We get kindness when we deserve wrath. We get forgiveness when we deserve condemnation. We we receive all the blessings that God has for us totally apart from ourselves, totally apart from what we do. And and then as we receive that, what we get is a restored relationship with God that forms peace. It's a great thing. So Paul starts this letter out with grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then then he really begins to address Philemon personally. Here's what he says. Look at verse 4. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why does he thank God when when Philemon comes to mind, right? When I remember you. So when God brings Philemon to Paul's mind and he's praying for Philemon, he says that what he does is he thanks God for him. But there's a reason why, right? Verse 5 says, it's because I hear of your love, and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This grace and peace that has been experienced by Philemon and and received by him and known by him, the gospel, essentially, that that Philemon has embraced and trusted in has actually changed the man's life. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that this grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ actually has led Philemon to be a man that has been transformed by that grace. He's been gripped by the gospel and that's clear in how he lives. Notice how he lives, right? Paul says it in verse 5. Paul hears of the way he's living, which is defined as love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So what he's saying here is essentially how we would say it is Philemon's a dude that loves Jesus and loves people. And and we got to say this, if 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 loving Jesus and loving people isn't in your life, there's a very good chance that the gospel's not in your life. Right, because this is literally the thing that God creates in us, a heart of love for him and a heart of love for one another. And Paul is saying, I'm thankful to God when I remember you, Philemon, because I hear about the love and faith you have towards Jesus. Right? He loves Jesus. That's the, that's the foundation. And loves all the saints. Now, depending on your background, when you hear that word saints, a lot of times what comes back to your mind may be some dead Christian up there that the, that the church claims did a miracle or something. That's not what Paul means by saints. He never uses that word in that way. He always talks about the saints as living, active believers in Jesus, right? So, so if you're a believer in Jesus, this is what you are. You, you, are, you are called to be uh, apart from the world, brought into Jesus, made into a, a new person. And that's what Paul's saying, is that you, Philemon, love Jesus, that's evident, and you love all the fellow believers in the church. So the grace of God is evident in Philemon's life. It's, he's being commended for this. Pretty much all of the first seven verses are Paul's commendation of Philemon's life. He, he's just affirming the kind of man that Philemon is. And that's significant because it's the foundation of where we're going to go here, ultimately in this series. We're going we're to see how it's the character of Christ that has gripped Philemon's life, which makes it possible for him to actually be a forgiving and welcoming person. But, the, but this passage starts with Paul affirming that you actually, Philemon, you actually love Jesus. And you love your fellow Christians, which is the fruit of belief in the gospel. And then as we look at verse 6 here, here's, here's where Paul goes from there. He goes further and he says, "...and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ." So notice this. Paul says, first, Philemon, your, your belief in the grace and peace of God has led you to love Jesus. It has led you to love other people. And it has led, Philemon, to want to help others love Jesus. This is how we talk about this all the time. Right? This is our, this is our mission as a church is to love Jesus, love people, and help people love Jesus. And that's exactly the formula you're seeing Paul use for Philemon. As a person who's been gripped by the gospel, transformed by grace, he's become a person that has poured out his heart to Jesus and to others and desires to share his faith with more people. And so Paul says, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith might become effective. All right. Philemon's got the desire to share his faith because he loves Jesus and he loves people and he wants more people to love Jesus. But what Paul's praying for is that that sharing of the faith, which is evidently already happening, right? It's happening. Paul's not saying that I'm praying that you will share your faith. He's praying that as you share your faith, as you're continuing to do that, that that sharing will become effective, And then, this is interesting, how does Paul define effectiveness in sharing the faith? He he doesn't define it in in a numerical way. He doesn't say, well, here's what effective sharing of your faith is. If you have, you know, 10 converts this year, you're, you're an effective person. That's not how he defines it. Look at what he says says that the sharing of faith may become effective for the full knowledge of what of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ the effective sharing of our faith is not defined by how many people actually respond to the faith that we're sharing but that we would be effective in sharing the knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In other words, what sharing our faith means is it's not just going through these ABCs of the Christian faith or the four spiritual laws. As as helpful as those things can be, it's not just about imparting a knowledge of what Jesus has done, it's, a par, it's, it's ultimately about imparting a knowledge of all the good things that are in us because of Jesus. That's interesting to me. That, that Paul's saying, this is how you effectively share your faith, that you, you share every good thing that God has given to you in Jesus. Here's here's the truth. I think that's significantly more compelling to a person's heart who doesn't know Jesus, to share with them how Jesus actually gives us all these good, beautiful things. That's That's a positive way of expressing faith rather than the negative of, well, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell, so I guess you better believe it. I mean, that's true, right? Like we don't, We're not denying that God will judge those who don't come to faith in Christ. But that's not what Paul says Philemon should be doing. He's saying you should be sharing what is good in you, all the good that Christ has been giving to you. I think that's significant. But regardless, we've got, we've got one more verse to look at, but it's a, it's a big one here. So but before we get there, let's just summarize this. Philemon is a man, clearly... Paul is affirming him as a man who has been gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ of grace and peace. And that comes out clearly in how he lives because he's a man who loves Jesus, loves people, and helps people love Jesus. That's what Paul's affirming. But he goes even deeper into this. Paul speaks even more highly of Philemon's character as we get into verse 7. Look at what it says. This is an amazing verse. It says, for I have derived, Paul's speaking personally of himself here in the relationship he has with Philemon, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I mean, this is this is like, this might make us a little uncomfortable because Paul is just saying such nice things, you know. And we're we're modest Midwesterners. We don't like compliments very much, you know. It's like we always try to pivot away from from compliments, and and that's okay. Like I, I don't know, that's just who we are. But but listen, this is what Paul's doing. He's just like affirming this guy, and it's it's really actually humbling how much he affirms Philemon's life, but let's let's see how is he doing this. He affirms first his commitment to the gospel, which is evident through his life. And then verse seven goes even further, showing us that because he's been gripped by the gospel and that's evident in his life, the the very character of Christ is, is being born out in fruit in Philemon's life, it's evident in his life. Look at the three things that Paul says Philemon is. He, to, to Paul, he's saying this is, this is how he receives, these are the things he receives from Philemon. For I have derived much joy, first thing, joy, comfort from your love, my brother, So joy and comfort through the love that Philemon has because the hearts of the saints, the hearts of the believers have been refreshed through you. You're seeing three things here. You're seeing joy, comfort, and refreshment in Philemon's life, not these, not that these are just the things that Philemon experiences, but these are the things that others experience as Philemon interacts with them. Joy is, of course, we know that the, we, we kind of syn- make this synonymous with, with uh, happiness. Happiness is fluctuating and it, it really depends on our circumstances, but joy is contentment in the midst of anything that comes our way. And we know that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he was also a man of great and full joy because he was a spirit-empowered man. And the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and many other things. But love and joy are the first two things out of the gate that Paul shares that are the fruit of the spirit of God. The things that flow from God, the Holy Spirit, are love and joy and peace and all the rest, right? And so joy is something that, this is interesting, joy is not just something that Philemon himself is experiencing. That's not what Paul's affirming him for. He's not saying, hey, you're a joyful guy. He says, I have derived much joy from you. Like, Philemon's joy is overflowing out of his life, so much so that Paul is catching some of it on himself. I'm getting joy. I'm deriving joy from you. That flows from the heart of Christ, right? That flows from the character of Christ through the Spirit of God. The second thing is comfort, right? He mentions comfort right after joy, This is interesting that Paul says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. I I just, man, I know people that are, that I would say I spend time with you and and I feel comforted by you. That's, That's like an intangible thing, right? We can't necessarily put our finger on what that is but you know it when you experience it, right? You know it when you're in the presence of a person who is just a source of comfort to you. And and ultimately, we know that we receive all comfort from Christ. He calls us to come to him, that we might have our burdens lifted from from our lives. Philemon is a man who's been gripped by the gospel and so these things are coming out of his life and they're impacting the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm getting joy and comfort from your love, brother. And then even further in, it says, because this joy and comfort through the love of Philemon is coming into Paul's life because, look at this, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. there is a refreshment in the presence of Philemon. That when people spend time with this man, they walk away feeling refreshed in Jesus. That's that's like another really intangible thing. But again, you know it when you have been with someone like this. So, So don't miss what's happening here. This is really, just let's put this all together. What's happening here is that Paul is establishing at the front of this letter what kind of person or people we need to be if we're going to have a welcoming church. We need to to be in and under the power of God's Spirit through the gospel so that joy and comfort, and refreshment are experienced by those who come here and are a part of this thing. Paul is affirming these things in Philemon's life, and he's doing that intentionally in the broad picture of the book because he has to establish what is uh, the character of christ if if there 's going to be any follow through with with the ask, the big ask is going to be welcome Onesimus back in, which is not an easy thing to ask, given what we know about the situation and so paul 's not like giving empty platitudes here he 's not just trying to butter the guy up he 's genuinely expressing that these things are true, <laughs> but these things uh, are are the establishment of of being a welcoming person. The gospel gripping the heart of a person that leads them to become a joyful, comforting, and refreshing presence in someone's life. So here's the question. As you look at those things, joy, comfort, refreshment, I've got two questions about this. First is this, is there anyone in your life who actually fits this bill? Like, this is not unique to Philemon. This should not be unique to him as a guy. This should be true of all of us. But, but do you have anyone in your life that when you spend time with them, when you're in their presence, when you are hanging with them and talking with them and doing whatever you do in relationship with these people, do you walk away from those meetings and go, man, my heart is bursting with joy. I am so comforted in Christ because of this brother or sister, and I'm just refreshed in the gospel. Do you have anyone in your life who fits that bill? I do. I've I've got many, by God's grace, I've got folks outside this church that fit this bill. I got, I got a guy in my life named David Pinckney and every time I speak to him, this is, this is the thing that comes out of my heart. I just love that man and he, he refreshes my heart in Jesus. And I could name a lot of other names. And I, as I was, I was meeting with a guy this week on, on Zoom, I'm doing some mentoring for another pastor in, in the, uh, another part of the state and so we jump on Zoom and we talk through some ministry things. And I was telling him uh, that there are people, well, I'll, I'll say this, he, it, this came up because he was telling me that there was really no one in his church that he feels he can be real with. And I, my heart just broke for that, dude. Because I and, I, and I didn't say this to rub salt in his wounds. I just said this to be honest, that there are people in this room right now that, I, that the Lord has brought to my mind over this last week that fit this bill. Like there are people, and again, we're Midwesterners. I'm not going to call anyone out by name. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I'm serious when I say that there are people in this church that I feel joy and refreshment and comfort in, in being with. And that is an amazing gift. As your pastor, I want to say thank you. I mean, I, I have never felt Harmed, berated, or hurt in this church, and that is a rare deal for for pastors. So thank you. But I but I genuinely mean there are people now. Again, I don't know all of you intimately or really well or anything, but but I have a number of you that I that I know well and would say this is this is true. My hearts are not drained. My heart is not drained when I'm with you. My heart is refreshed, right? And I hope that's true for you. Now, if it's not, here's the deal. You got to get into community because the people are here. You got you to actually get into it though. You, you've got to get to know the people. And that's the hard thing, right? Now, maybe the Lord has met these needs in your life through other people and that's fine and great, right? As long as you have someone in your life that when you think of them, you go, this is a person that God has given me to be these things. It's meant to happen in the local church. It's meant to happen beyond the local church. So find somebody. That's the first thing. The second question I want to ask, and this one may be a little bit harder, it's this. Would anybody in your life say these things are true of you? It's easy for us to to go, okay, do I have anyone in my life that brings me joy, comfort, and refreshment? Okay, and we can check through the list, but would anybody actually say this about you? Are you a person who's been gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and that permeates everything about you so that when you are with someone, they walk away from that time with you? Affirming what Paul says of Philemon, I derived much comfort and joy and refreshment through this person. And maybe that's an answer you can't give today. Maybe you don't know if you're that kind of person. But we should strive to be. This should be the the desire of our hearts to be so gripped by the gospel and the character of Christ that the very heart and character of Christ flows through us and in us and from us. We should want that. But listen, the only way to get there, the only way to get there is by getting our eyes off ourselves. We've got to to see these things flowing from Christ's character, which is foundationally humility. The character of Christ is foundationally humble. Humble. We actually looked at this passage last Sunday too, but um, we're going to look at it from a different angle today and just quickly look at Philippians chapter 2. I don't have the words up on the screen for this one, but look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi. He he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, see we're seeing some of these same, these same words, right? Any a participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Paul says, complete my joy. There's another word we just saw today. How how are they going to complete his joy? Here's what he tells them. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he says, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Or pride, right? That's what conceit means. But rather in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says this, have this mind among yourselves. What mind? A mind of humility, a mind that other people matter more than you. Have that mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already given that to you if you're a believer. And then he goes into the the famous passage. We looked at this last week that the doctrine of the incarnation that though Jesus Christ who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant This amazing passage about the Incarnation is not really a doctrinal or theological lesson. It's a practical one to say, here is what it means to be like Jesus. Be unified and be humble and love each other. That is the only way we get here. We take our eyes off ourselves so that we can be a source of joy and comfort and refreshment to the people in our lives. The only way we get to the place we want to be as a welcoming church is by being gripped by the character of Christ in our hearts and seeing that character by the power of the Spirit in us overflowing and working. And that's what we're called to. And I hope that each of us will take it seriously and pursue it. And I also hope that God has given you somebody in your life that fits this same criteria so that you can find refreshment in Jesus through the people in the church. Let me pray for us. Um, Father in heaven, we are, we're thankful That because of Jesus, we can have joy and comfort and refreshment. And Jesus, we're thankful that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves so that we can be changed people. And I just pray, God, that you would do a work here that only you can do. That you would make us a welcoming church by helping us to be gripped by the character of Christ and I pray that you would do that for us and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we're going to take some